Welcome, beloved family of God. My name is Jesse Romero. Good to be back. This is the Terry and Jesse Show. <clears throat> My partner's out there doing some apostolic work. Let me give you let me give you the rundown for today. We're going to be talking to a, <clears throat> a, a great a tan author. He just wrote a book. It's called Betrayed with a, Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. I can't wait to ask him some questions about this topic, about this book. But uh, <clears throat> let me remind you that today is... The feast day of Our Lady of Fatima, October 13th. I know that a terrorist, the Hamas terrorists, are calling for a day of jihad all over the world. We disregard them. We are people of faith. We keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. We do not live in fear. We live by faith. And so as Catholics, just a good reminder, you should be reporting for duty. How do you report for duty? Live in a state of grace. Be a prayer warrior. Live a life of virtue. There's two teams out there, Team Jesus and Team Satan. Terrorists are part of Team Satan. We're part of Team Jesus. Stay that way by remaining in a state of grace. Remember that the month of October, Catholic tradition tells us that it's dedicated to the Holy Rosary, one of the best known of all Catholic devotions. October includes the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th which was the day of the attack over in, uh, over in uh, the Holy Land in Israel by Hamas, the terrorist group. Not a coincidence that the attack, the day that Catholics defeated them in the Sea Battle of Lepanto on October 7th. But the best way to celebrate this month, and today especially the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, is of course to pray the Rosary every single day. Unfortunately, in some parishes, the recitation of the Rosary may not be as prevalent today as it was in the past. Uh, However, I can tell you this. I have personally found that the rosary is a great teaching tool for me personally and when you pray it. Let's talk about uh, some of the issues of today. Okay, House Speaker Leader Steve Scalise has dropped out of the race for House Speaker he announced the, the decision following a closed-door meeting with fellow House Republicans on Thursday evening. Uh, he said, our conference still, ha- still has to come together, and it is not there. This country is counting on us to come back together. Also on the news, public comments this, this closed this week on a Biden administration rule that would force employers to accommodate abortions under the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. Readers submitted 27,230 comments through Catholic Votes Action Center, while 20,800 objections came through the U.S. Bishop's Portal. Overall, Catholics and their allies provided over 75% of all the feedback. Next, the U.S. will start arranging evacuation charter flights for American citizens out of Israel beginning today as the death toll of Americans from Hamas attacks continues to climb. I was there for four days. I got back two days ago. Thanks be to God. White House National Security spokesman John Kirby told the reporters yesterday that evacuation operations would begin today, Friday, to provide transportation from from Israel uh, to to American families to places like Europe, uh, and, uh, and other safe places for American families. Also, Syrian airports are bombed. Airstrikes crippled the runways at the two of the main airports in Syria on Thursday, 
as Iran's foreign minister was reportedly expected to arrive in the country. Syria blamed the strikes on Israel, which declined to comment on the matter. The targeted locations were international airports in the Syrian capital of Damascus and the northern city of Aleppo. Also, Hamas says it started planning the attack two years ago. Senior Hamas official Ali Baraka told Russia Today on Sunday that Hamas planned its attack on Israel for two years, meaning the preparations likely started during the Biden administration and after the botched U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Our, Our allies are those that support us with weapons and money, said senior Hamas terrorist official Baraka. He says, first and foremost, it is Iran that is giving us money and weapons. This was admitted to by senior Hamas official Ali Baraka. Next, a Fox News poll released Wednesday found former President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden statistically tied in a head-to-head contest with Biden at 49% and Trump at 48% and a 3% margin of error. The same poll found that in a three-way race that included Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the independent RFK siphoned support from both the Republican and the Democrat, taking 16% and leaving Trump and Biden at 41% each. Also, today is a day of prayer and fasting for us as Catholics. It's, It's Friday, October 13th, but also Hamas has called for a global day of jihad today. So be vigilant Catholics, be vigilant people of faith. Uh, But there's a Catholic apostolate that's making it a worldwide day of fasting and prayer for peace. They're called the Vulnerable People Project. They will lead a rosary live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon to intercede for everyone in Israel and Palestine. The organization announced we are also urging everyone to take an hour of silence and contemplative prayer on what it means to love God and love one's neighbor. Also, Cardinal Joseph Zen on Thursday criticized some of Pope Francis' responses to the five dubia that he and other four cardinals sent him ahead of the Synod on Synodality. In a statement on the Cardinal's website, Cardinal Zen argued that the Pope's guidance on the blessing of same-sex unions is pastorally untenable. Pastorally untenable. Also, synod coverage. The Vatican doctrine chief was confronted for ambiguous teaching. Cardinal Gerhard Mueller just critiqued the head of the doctrine of faith for his response to Cardinal Dominique Duca's dubia, saying its ambiguity could have dire consequences for church teaching on reconciliation and the Eucharist. In an October 13th letter to Duca, Cardinal Mueller gave an in-depth analysis of his response. Also, Archbishop Andre Nikea Funia of the Archdiocese of Bamenda, Cameroon, praised Eucharistic adoration during a press conference at the Synod on Synodality. His Archdiocese declared a year of the Eucharist this year to promote devotion to the Blessed Sacrament. Perpetual adoration is going on in all the parishes. It is incredible. I cannot explain it. It's here how much... I, I cannot explain it here how much time the young people spend before the Blessed Sacrament. And today, the saint of the day, St. Edward the Confessor, pray for us. He was born in the 12th century to the Duke of Normandy and was the nephew of the King of England. Though he grew up in exile, Edward was eventually 
called upon to serve as a king of as, as a king of England, he was known to cure people with his touch, abolished unjust taxes, and rebuilt St. Peter's Abbey in Westminster, where he is now buried. St. Edward the Confessor, pray for us. <clears throat> Today's Holy Gospel, the uh, Friday of the 27th week in ordinary time, and really there's nothing ordinary about today's ordinary time today. Luke chapter 11, verse 15 to 26. When Jesus had driven out a demon, <clears throat> some of the crowd said, by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he drives out demons. <clears throat> Others to test him, asked him for a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be laid to waste and the house will fall against house. And if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say it is by Beelzebul that I drive out demons. If I then drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own people drive them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his palace, his possessions are safe. But when one stronger, but when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away the armor on which he relied. And distributes the spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of someone. It roams through arid regions. Searching for rest. But finding none. It says. I shall return to my home from which I came. But upon returning it finds it swept clean and put in order. Then it goes back and brings back seven other spirits. More wicked than itself. Who move in and dwell there. And the last condition of that man is worse than the first. The gospel of the Lord. I'll say this. 23% of our Lord's ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, while he was here on planet Earth, 23% of his ministry was exorcism, was driving out demons. In fact, every third or fourth day at Holy Mass, in the daily Mass readings, you'll find Jesus is performing an exorcism. And so when some people talk about spiritual warfare being irrelevant, no, spiritual warfare is front and center on planet Earth. And Jesus is telling us here, okay? Every kingdom divided against itself will be laid to waste and this house will fall and, and the house will fall against house. That's the way for, for Catholics, we must be united with the magisterium of the church. We must be united with our priests, bishops, and pope and with each other. We as Catholics, we must... Uh, you know, stop this tribal mentality and we've got to unite Catholic apostolates, unite the clan. Division comes from Satan. That's how he conquers kingdoms. Well, up next, we're going to have John Clark here. He just wrote a book, Betrayed Without a Kiss. Can't ta Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. I uh, got a lot of questions to ask and we'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. This is the Terry and Jesse show. My partner's out doing some apostolic work. I've got with me a guest, John Clark. How you, how you doing, my friend? Oh, I can't hear John. I can't hear John, Mr. Engineer. 
But uh, let me introduce John here. So uh, John Clark is a columnist. He's a political speech writer and a ghost writer. He's authored two books on fatherhood and written approximately 500 articles and blogs about Catholic family and apologetics in such places as the National Catholic Register, Seton Magazine, and Magis Center. He's also an online course developer for Seton Home, Home Study School. He, he was homeschooled by his mother, Dr. Mary K. Clark. I re- read some of her books. And he holds a degree in political science and economics from Christendom College, one of the great colleges in the U.S. He and his wife, Lisa, have nine children and live in central Florida in the great state of Florida. Uh, yeah, John, welcome, my friend. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you now. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you just wrote it. Okay. My friend, you just wrote a, ten, uh, a book through 10. It's called Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. By the way, we don't want to confuse John's book with another book called Heal Me With Your Marthi- Mouth, The Art of Kissing by Archbishop Victor Fernandez. <laughs> Not the same book. Not the same book. No. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, John, yeah, tell us uh, an interesting title, Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. Wow. Um, you said a mouthful with that title. Why did you decide to write this book, and why did you choose that title? So, uh, thanks for asking me. I really appreciate that. So, the way this all started, uh, I would say, uh, a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine was going through some difficult times with this marriage. Uh, looked like a divorce might be on the horizon. And he came to me for some advice. And um, I really wanted to investigate what was going on with some of the, like he would tell me oddities. Uh, For instance, that uh, in the diocese he was in, the diocese mandated a civil divorce prior to even having an annulment hearing. Imagine that. So before you can even sit down with 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 the marriage tribunal, you have to present them with a certificate that you have had the civil divorce. And when he told me that story, I thought, that can't possibly be true. How, how could a bishop require civil divorce? And of course, he was correct. And then I went on to discover that every diocese that I'm aware of, that is to say, every diocese in America requires civil divorce prior to even having an annulment hearing, right? Mm. As to determine whether your marriage is valid. Hmm. You would have to have the state saying, in effect, from a legal perspective, that it is that it is not that that it's that that the marriage is over, the contract is over. So, when I started looking into that, that's kind of what started this process, and I really wanted to delve into from there, you know, what was going on. And um, when I wrote, when I came up with the title pretty early on, and somebody said to me, "You betrayed her without a kiss." That's pretty rough. The more I researched this, I thought, no, that's pretty accurate. So this is simply a that, that's what started the process. So, John, I, I, I can see where you're going with this. It, uh, the fact is that right now in the church, probably in every diocese, in every tribunal, they require, like you just said, uh, a civil divorce before they will start even looking at an annulment, the tribunal. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I guess now I see where your title's coming from, is you're trying to defend marriage from the failed leadership right now in our church because instead of trying to bring reconciliation to the couple uh, and, and harmony and, 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 and unity, they're like, well, hey, go get a civil divorce and then we'll take a look at it. Uh, that's, that's, that's painful, but I've heard this story over and over again. The story you just told me 
I've heard this dozens of times. I have no personal knowledge, thanks be to God. But uh, very good Catholic friends of mine have told me ex- that what you said is exactly what happens at the average diocesan tribunal. Right. And the key, so if you want to look at numbers, um, you go back to the late 1960s, the church was granting about 350 annulments per year. That's all dioceses combined, about 350. You fast forward a generation or so, and you have 70,000 annulments in a year. So 350 to 70,000. So just in terms of the numbers there, that's alarming however you look at it this is something something is not working we know that the sacrament of matrimony is not broken we know that sacraments don't break Mm. but the process uh is broken and when you start looking at that so in one generation we went from 350 annulments to 70,000. in two generations we've gone from uh the church uh about that's late 60s the church uh, granted something like 425,000 weddings. There were 425,000 weddings in America. In the year 2020, there were fewer than 100,000 weddings. So if you start graphing that in your mind, you think, okay, you start graphing the, the annulments that looks pretty, you know, way up, and you start looking at marriages the way down, there's a problem. And that's that's kind of where we're at right now. So this is book is sort of bringing some of these facts to light and trying to discuss what we can do. John, so you said that the church would grant about 350 annulments a year. This was like before the 60s, before the council, would you say? No. So uh, it was after that. So about 1969. So from 1969 to 1971, you saw an increase. I believe it was. Yeah. So it was after it was after the Second Vatican Council. Yes. That that annulments increased. Correct. Yes. Yes, but I wouldn't link it to the Second Vatican Council. What I would say is, uh, is that um, Vatican II, the documents of Vatican II, could have described, it could have outlined marriage better. It's true. But the Second Vatican Council did not change the right. primary purpose right. of matrimony. So it's a, it's, a key, it's a key distinction. I'm just pointing it out because a lot of times it. people go and say, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I don't. I don't think it was Vatican II. I'm just. I mean, there's a lot of turbulence in the '60s. You had the sexual revolution. You had Grizzle versus Connecticut, the legalization of birth control. You had uh, mm-hmm. pornography. Uh, Hugh Hefner opened up his his enterprise. Larry Flint opened his his enterprise. Uh, pornography mm-hmm. was legalized by the Supreme Court in '68 on the big screen. Uh, you had uh, public schools taken away. You know, homeroom prayer taken away. Bible reading in homeroom. Uh, you had the Church of Satan cropping up. Uh, the, you had the Vietnam War. There is a lot of social chaos in the '60s, and so I can see that that's probably the marker where this this started breaking. This started falling apart. Okay, uh, now here's something interesting. How has your own marriage? You seem like you're a solid Catholic man, Christian of college. Uh, you got a, a Dr. Mary K. <laughs> Clark is your mom. Uh, it seems like you're. You, I just. Obviously, Tan picked up your book. You're a well-formed uh, Catholic in terms of your theology. How is it that your own marriage has shaped this book? Well, I appreciate that. Um, so my wife and I just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary. And frankly, I don't know that I would have been, I don't know that I would have had the credentials to write this without being married for a long time. I mean, I think that where we're, where we're at now is I think we're in a position where the laity needs to evangelize priests on this issue. 
And that might sound odd, but here's the thing. So right now in America, we're having, I think it's worldwide, right? So we're having Eucharistic revival. This, it's great. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. I'm glad we're doing it. The problem is, is that if the Eucharistic revival is not accompanied by a matrimonial one, that is to say a celebration mm. of a sacrament of matrimony, I wonder how much fruit it will bear. And, and here's what it comes down to. And, and you know, it's just a very simple way. Words matter. This is my body matters. I do matters. And so we have to remember that matrimony, like the Eucharist, like all seven sacraments, matrimony is a sacrament, and we have just lost sight of that. So um, I'm glad that, I mean, I'm glad I can bring some experience to it. And because I think after 30 years, I've raised nine children um, who we've homeschooled. So as you mentioned, Mary Kay Clark is my mom. So that's what we do in the Clark family. So, <laughs> but I think that brings some credibility to it. I hope that it does. You know, you know, John, it's, uh, you remind me of a, of a quote from Fulton Sheen back in the 70s. He said, who's going to save our church? Not our bishops, not our priests, not our religious. It's you, the lay people. He said, you lay people teach your priests how to be priests. You lay people teach your bishops how to be bishops. Uh, what you just said right now, it's just strikingly similar to what Fulton Sheen just said. So what can priests do? You're right. With, without a marriage revival, so to speak, or a marriage rebirth or renaissance, there is going to be no Eucharistic revival. You're, you're, they're connected. You're right. This is yes. my body given up for you. That's what happens in marriage. That, that, and that's, that's part of the vows. You know, you, you're giving yourself this, this mutual reciprocity, this exchange of self. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's also what happens in the Holy Eucharist. Christ is, is, uh, is, is, is giving himself to us. Without a marriage revival in the U.S. or in the Catholic Church, there will be no Eucharistic revival. So what can priests do to help marriage go forward and bring about this renaissance and rebirth? That's that's a great question, and that's the key to this to this in, in large measure is that priests need to speak about the primary purpose of matrimony. That would be great. Priests need to speak about the good of marriage. It's funny, you know. I mentioned to people that I I've, I I you know in fifty two years, um, we go to you know obviously mass on Sundays. We try to try to go to daily mass whenever we can. And I'm trying to count the number of times I've heard sermons about marriage. I mean, I don't remember ever hearing, well, the primary purpose of marriage is the procreation and education of children. That is a doctrine that, that uh, is infallible. I don't remember hearing that. And yet, I sometimes wonder who the priests think their audience is. I mean, presumably, this is mostly married people with children. So priests need to speak favorably. Priests need to be cheerleaders for marriage. And I think that, you know, there was sort of a, a trial balloon that came out uh, a couple of years ago that the idea that the pre the problem is the pre-cana so the pre-cana should last maybe you know 14 16 months well i don't think that's actually fair because there is a natural law right to marriage it's too long but realistically if the idea is is that we have to educate people on the faith i agree 100 percent my question is why do the priests wait until pre-cana to do it my my idea is this how about if priests gave sermons on what to look for in a good spouse? Mm. That sermon should occur before dating, much <laughs> less marriage, right? So, I mean, that's a conversation we have, you know, Lisa and I have with our children. But I think if it comes from the pulpit, it's so much better. So the pre-cana should really be expanded to, to 
really to infancy, I'd say in my book, my first pre-Cana teachers were my mom and dad who wow. loved each other, there was care of me. And, and I think that if we're, we need to look at marriage that way, we look, need to look at the beauty of marriage. And to your point of reconciliation, that's a key part of this too. Reconcile, forgive one another. It's true for married Amen. couples too. Amen. Hey, we got John Clark on here on the Terry and Jesse show. He just wrote a book. It's called Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. This is definitely a book you want to pick up and read and share with other people. You can get the book at 10books.com, 10books.com. The book is called Betrayed Without a Kiss, 10books.com. John Clark will continue with this conversation. I have a couple more questions to ask him. This is a huge topic, marriage and family life. And uh, we got somebody here who's a, a great defender of that institution. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. some apostolic work and i'm here with john clark he's a columnist a political speech writer a ghost writer most important he's a catholic man a father of nine married and uh and he's teaching uh the lay people and even priests about what's important about marriage and family life his book is called betrayed without a kiss defending marriage after years of failed leadership in the church it's put out by 10 books this is definitely a book you need to read. This is a book that needs to be in every married couple's shelf. Not in their shelf, but in their intellect, in their heart. You have to ingest the information in this book. It's called Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. Ten books by John Clark. This book is not to be confused with the book Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing <laughs> by Archbishop Victor Fernandez. No, no, no. Uh, completely opposite in terms of uh, what's being pr proposed. So, John... Uh, let me ask you a question. Um, I, I remember not too long ago, and it's just kind of embarrassing, but but it it, it really ties into your title. Uh, mm -hmm. I heard Cardinal Dolan, and this is on the internet, so it's not like I'm saying anything anything defamatory. But he gave a an interview where he said, "I've been a priest for forty years, and I've never given a a homily on birth control." And then he said. And, he, and he, he laughed like he does with his, you know, he, the way he always laughs is his Santa Claus laugh. And then he said right after that, he goes, uh, he says, maybe I should. Maybe I should give a homily on, on contraception. So even Cardinal Timothy Dolan, who's one of the better cardinals in the Catholic Church. I mean, he came, he came with wrapped in the mantle of orthodoxy when he went from uh, the diocese. He was, I, th I think he was in uh, the state of Wisconsin and he went over to New York. Uh, I mean, he, he had some, he had some, uh, his uh, Orthodox bona fides, and he even admits that he's never given a talk on this from the pulpit. And so I think what you're saying, uh, that part of your title, defending marriage after years of failed leadership in the church, this is a huge problem. And, and Father Frank Pavone tells me this. He says, he, he says, a Catholic priest that doesn't give the full, the full gospel and the full uh, uh, the full counsel of God, especially on marriage and family life, he says, you're listening to a contracepted homily. I never forgot that, but uh, 
So let's let's go back again. You're talking about what priests can do to help marriage going forward. What are some of the things that you would advise priests as a father and as a husband? Well, as I say, well, as I say, I you know we need to uh, talk about marriage from the get go. This would be something that is you know, there could be homilies on matrimony and marriage that are directed to the wide wide audiences. Um, we need to talk, they need to speak about the beauty of marriage. To your point about speaking about contraception, it would strike me that. I don't think it'd be too much of a reach to say that if he's never given a sermon on contraception, he's never given a sermon on the primary purpose of marriage. Hmm. Right? So, right, because yeah. that's, where this would, that's where this would come up. That's sort of a natural segue. Well, then I guess I haven't done that either. Hmm. Respectfully, my question would be, what are you talking about? I mean, th this is key to the whole thing. I mean, if you're not, if you're not coming out and talking about primary purpose, one of the things we've realized over the past few years is, is that the sacraments are symbiotic. They're meant to go together, all seven together. Holy orders supports matrimony. Matrimony supports holy orders. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, that's where, you know, that's where babies come from, right? So ideally, right? Um, the sacraments go together. One of the things that, that, that the, they could mention too is, is that I think there should be uh, like an annual mass, like a special night for married couples. Why aren't we having that? Right now, I don't know the numbers. It'd be impossible to kind of come up with a number of, you know, masses and uh, to celebrate this versus that. But in terms of pure fanfare, there seems to be more emphasis on celebrating same-sex unions at Catholic churches than there are to celebrate actual marriage, right? So there needs to be something to, that we need to celebrate this. It, it really, we need to start recognizing that if one of the sacraments starts to fall, they all start to, and, and I look at matrimony as the primordial sacrament. It is the sacrament from which all these come from. And my worry going forward is, is that if there are only two vocational sacraments, out of the seven sacraments, there are only two vocational, holy orders and matrimony. Well, if we're not supporting matrimony and you start to see these alarming numbers of annulments and people just simply not getting married, how long will it be until that, uh, until we start doubting holy orders? Is that in the future? We need to make sure that that doesn't happen too. We need to support all seven sacraments. Yeah, you're right, uh, John. Holy priests come from holy families, and 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 if we're not raising holy families, and we're wondering why we have a priest shortage, and we why we have a a shortage of holy people within the priesthood. Mm -hmm. Well, again, they don't come from they don't come they don't drop down from heaven in a parachute. They come from Catholic families. So right. what role should pre-Cana play in protecting marriage? If you were able to nationally uh, control the pre-Cana program, at least uh, give us a, a framework of what should be taught, how would you reboot that program or, or what would you add to it or augment it? So the, the thing about pre-Cana, there are some national programs, but it's sort of dependent on the diocese itself. One of the things that I think priests should do is get more involved. However involved you are, get more involved with uh, the couple prior. So if you, so if pre-Cana is basically going in on a Saturday afternoon and getting something signed and some diocese is that's it, it varies a lot around the country. But if it's sort of an afternoon or it's a, it's a few weekends, um, the priests need to be involved. The priests should work with the couples on an individual basis, right? Meet with them um discuss the idea of having a you know going to confession that's certainly something that should be doing before they 
you know, embark on marriage, right? Um, bless their home once once they're married. Bless their homes. In other words, stay with them. Start off by you know getting involved, but stay involved. Baptize. It used to be a very common thing that uh, priests would bless houses. I'm not sure why it stopped being a popular thing, but that's that's really key. When we when Lisa and I moved to Florida, it was like the first thing we did. We wanted we wanted to contact a local parish and say, you know, can you come and bless our home? That's a big thing. And I think by having priestly involvement, getting to know the couple, um, what happens if you don't do that is that um, the first time that a, a priest meets with a couple, they're already in trouble. Hmm. This couple's already in trouble, so they come and they want to talk to their priest. There should be help before it gets to that stage, and it helps. It's, it's being involved in their lives. You know, I think that's a very important thing to this, and it's fairly easy to do. Hmm. John, the Blessed Virgin Mary told us that the devil's final attack upon the human race would be upon marriage and family. Do you mm-hmm. think, uh, I mean, when you look at, when we look at the landscape, homosexual, so-called homosexual marriage legalized, you got uh, polygamy practice in many places. It's, it's enshrined in Islam in the Quran. Uh, you got uh, basically polyandry being practiced, you know, just, uh, you know, two or three couple, two or three, you know, people living together, what they call it a thruple now. I've also mm-hmm. heard that some famous Hollywood actors and actresses, they're marrying themselves. There was an article that mm-hmm. came out last week, you know, uh, uh, all, all these actors and actresses like Britney Spears, she, she's had so many failed marriages. She just married herself. Uh, uh, you also have, I read another article about, uh, there's places where people are advocating marrying their animals. M- marriage is under attack right now like I've never seen before. Having having said what I've just said, what can husbands and wives do to help their own marriages within the Catholic Church, within the framework of Catholicism? Right. So I think that husbands and wives uh, now need to realize that help uh, from, from the church's position uh, may not be necessarily on the way. Hmm. In other words, they may not start to have, they, you know, I have a lot of ideas in the book for, for things your church could do, but let's say the church does none of those. Ultimately, this is going to be about the couple. Hmm. And what I would suggest to them is live sacramental lives. So I would say like this, when I go to confession and I walk out that door after absolution, I feel closer to Lisa. Hmm. I wasn't expecting that, but that's the way it is. I, if you, somebody asked me before I was married and, or it said that, I would have thought, well, really, why? Every time I feel closer to her. Uh, this morning at daily mass, we you know we received we received the Eucharist together and then knelt down in prayer of Thanksgiving. You have to live sacramental lives. That that's that's important to this whole thing. Um, remember the romance of marriage. Uh, you know it, it's kind of funny. People think that you know the sort of that old knock on marriage is well, there's no romance in marriage. The romance is in dating. Well, I happen to think that um, bringing nine children into the world together. And loving them and raising them is about the most romantic thing you can do. Amen. But this is this is something that that couples need to focus on is that ultimately it's going to be about you and it's also it's also about Jesus. The thing we need to remember is, and I should say it like this to be more specific. Uh, marriage is a triangular relationship between a man, a woman, and God. Amen. When it stops being that, and to your point about we're sort of 
you know, putting the name marriage on a lot of different things that aren't marriage. We need to, we need to really, to, the church needs to end the divorce mandate. And also, one th other thing I would say is, why are couples not being married without, a, uh, without being married first civilly? That, the church shouldn't have to wait for that. The church should not have to wait for the state's approval to confect any sacrament, right? We're coming off of 2020 where people, I mean, I heard stories uh, about people, well, first of all, the churches were shut down, so it meant you had, you didn't have communion, um, you know, any of the sick, you didn't have that. Um, and uh, I heard stories about people that were coming to confession and were like, you know, the, there were people wanting to take down the numbers. Why are we, why is the church relying on the state for permission to administer the sacraments? That's an issue. But we have to realize that as Catholic couples, we have to live sacramental lives, even if everything else is kind of gone crazy. You're right, John. You know what? We're, we're almost back to the times of Joshua, where he says, uh, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." You know, he 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 looked at his house like this is my domestic church. This is my this is my family's my church. And if all you Israelites want to worship false gods, go ahead. Not me and my family. We're going to worship the Lord. We almost have to hunker down and just think of it that way. Micro churches within the Catholic Church or domestic families. Mm -hmm. Hey, pick up the book. Uh, this will be a great read for anybody. 10books.com, 10books.com. Pick up John Clark's book. It is called Betrayed Without a Kiss. John, thanks very much, brother. We'll have to do this again. God bless you. Keep the faith. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 526 2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. <clears throat> Today, October 13th, the Palestinian Hamas terror group that attacked Israel, they're calling on all Muslims worldwide to stage a day of jihad or a day of holy war. Hamas is referring to the day as, as Al Aqsa Flood Friday the name of the operation in which it murdered more than 1,200 Israelis. They wounded roughly 3,000 and kidnapped over 100 just a few days ago. I was over there. I landed during the, the day that they attacked Israel. And uh, I came back two days ago. They're basically, the Israeli embassy is telling people, uh, get back on the plane and go back to the U.S. They're trying to evacuate Israel from all the tourists. So yeah, they're they're calling Friday Day of Jihad. And the, in an October 10th statement a couple of days ago, the Hamas terror group they issued this statement calling on Muslims in and outside of Palestine to join the jihad. And from the fortress of resistance and pride in the Gaza Strip, from its steadfast people, men, women and children and elders who defy the occupation and from its minarets, chambers and mosques which are subjected to the heinous aggression of the Zionist war machine. They're saying, we send this call to the free sons and daughters of our Arab and Islamic nation across the world. So that's the exact statement that they put out. I just read it to you. Former Hamas leader Khaled Mashal also directed Muslims throughout the world to support the jihad. In a video posted on X, he exhorted his followers. He said this, quote, we should take to the streets and city squares in Arab and Islamic cities everywhere 
where there are Islamic communities, close quote. And in, a, in another posting, in, in another posting, uh, we find uh, dated October 11th, Khalid Michel, former Hamas leader, he said that, quote, the proposed day of anger will send a message of rage to Zionist and to America, close quote. And so the call to Muslims worldwide to the day of rage is leaving many non-Muslims around the world wondering what will happen or how to prepare. One X post reads, it says this, quote, evil Hamas leaders calling for jihad on the entire world Friday, October 13th. All who are unarmed, find a way to keep safe. All who are armed, be prepared no matter where you, where you may go tomorrow. Protect yourself and others if you can. Others are looking to the Biden administration for guidance, but to no avail. What is Biden doing about this issue? Nothing. That's what somebody just posted. So, let me give you, let me give you my reflections on everything that's happening here. Unfortunately, all these terrorist organizations, they're all part of the same poisonous tree. Their their global mission is much like the Nazis' global mission was. The Nazis wanted to bring about the perfect race. Islam's mission is to bring about the perfect religion. So both the Nazis and the Islamic terrorists, they use the same method. Violence genocide, war, attacking of those that they consider unworthy of their love or un- unworthy to live. Just like the Nazis and, and, and uh, the Muslim terrorists, both of them determine who deserves to live and who does not deserve to live. The Islamic religion, more and more to me, it appears like a Trojan horse. What do I mean by that? Islam is much more than a religion. When you look at Islam in its complete form, it's a complete total system. It's a way of life. Islam has a religious component. Islam has a legal component. They have a political component, an economic component, a social component, and a military component. And it all comes from the Quran. There's no separation of church and state in Islam. In my estimation, the religious component of Islam is a deception and a pretense for all the other components. But today, the terrorist activity that we're seeing all over the world, come on, let's just be honest. It's not coming from the Amish. It's not coming from the Quakers. It's not coming from the Mormons. And it's not coming from homeschooling Catholics. It's coming from the practitioners of Islam. Now, I'm not saying that all Muslims are terrorists. That would be called the the thinking error of overgeneralization. But I am saying that mostly all the terrorism is coming from the Muslims who pray Allah Akbar as they slaughter a non-Muslim infidel and they quote a verse from the Quran to justify their actions. I was just in the Holy Land for three days. The world calls it Israel. We call it the Holy Land as Catholics. It's in the state of Israel. I get that. The battle over the Holy Land is really between two brothers. 
Ishmael was the illegitimate son of Abraham. And uh, he sired Ishmael with a slave, Hagar. Isaac was the natural son from his wife, Sarah, born 13 years later, after Ishmael, the illegitimate son of Abraham. Muslims claim Ishmael as their forefather, and the Jews claim Isaac as their forefather. So both Jews and Muslims claim to be the spiritual heirs of Abraham and the promises God made to him, which includes the Holy Land. And while these two religions fight for that piece of real estate that we call Jerusalem, which the Jews believe is the belly button of the world, and they believe that's where the Garden of Eden was, we Catholic Christians, we hope and wait for the new Jerusalem, which is otherworldly, which is called heaven, which is a place that's truly indescribable. And if we want to get to heaven, we have to live and die for Jesus and live and die in a state of grace. There are no words that can sufficiently describe the beauty, beauty and majesty of heaven. Although the Bible tries in some instances, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, St. Paul says, I has not seen and ear has not heard and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Heck, not even Shakespeare on his best day could describe heaven to us. Kind of on a political front, War is big business, unfortunately, it is. The globalist oligarchs, they look at us like meat sacks and earth eaters. War thins out the ranks, thins out the ranks of the deplorables, of the earth eaters. War makes the rich richer, and it makes the poor poor. War depopulates the deplorables, and it keeps certain businesses like Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop and Raytheon in, 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 the, in business, building weapon systems for endless wars. And then this industrial war complex, follow the money, they give sizable donations to the New World Order oligarchs as they try to build a utopia on Earth. Let me tell you something. There are three monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. The only monotheistic religion that can be, bring peace to the world is Catholic Christianity under the social reign of Christ the King. Without accepting Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 5, without accepting Jesus Christ as our King, as our Lord, there will be no peace in the Middle East. No Jesus, no peace. And the same thing applies to America. Our rejection of Jesus Christ will bring our demise one day. And this is why we have to keep praying. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. You know, if we really love God, we're going to care about time, our country, our family, and eternity. Both. Our, our future is going to be shaped by how Catholics engage in the culture wars and the culture of death. 
As Catholics, we have to keep advancing our Catholic faith, evangelizing, keep promoting family life, keep standing up for freedom until the last trumpet sound and Jesus comes back again. My fellow Catholics, we're called to save the world. We have the saving message of Christ. Nobody else does. Pope Leo said that we're made for combat. Pope Benedict said the world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Indeed, every red-blooded male knows that instinctively. These are times that breed saints and heroes. These are also times when many choose to be cowards and evildoers. There will, there will soon be no more middle ground to hide behind. And don't be discouraged. This is our Esther moment. We were destined for such a time as this and we have to rise to it. The time for wavering is over. The time, with pl- the time for playing with sin is over. Whatever is in your life that's preventing you from being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, the time to get rid of that impediment is now. There's only one choice for Catholics. That is for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Whatever it is that the culture of death throws our way, then bring it on because we will follow Jesus and we will not bow down our knees to Caesar or to, the, or to any false god of Baal. We will only bow down to the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the end, we have the certainty that truth will triumph over lies and light over darkness and good over evil. So stand firm, Catholics. Hold the line with Jesus in your heart, living in a state of grace, a rosary in your hand, and the Word of God on your lips. We were born for such a time as this. Jesus is our hope. Christ heals. Christ saves. Christ sets us free. And Jesus Christ came to save the lost, the last, and the least. And that describes you and me. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us.